0: Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I have got a great show planned for you. I'm excited that Rob Blue is going to be joining me in just a second. And then Bill English is going to come into the studio. He's written a book on a Christian theology of business ownership. So if you are a budding entrepreneur and you want to be a Christian business owner, you're going to want to hear that interview. And then our two, Jeff Verdorn's coming in. We're going to talk about the wounds of Jesus. I think you're going to find this an utterly fascinating hour. Uh, I mean, a whole two hours, but Jeff's content is going to be particularly interesting uh, for you Bible scholars. So anyway, that's the plan for today. I'm so glad uh, each day The Daily Signal brings you news that you can trust on the most important policy debates. They cut through the spin, and the chief spin cutter is Rob Bleu. He's the executive editor of The Daily Signal, and with me right now, Rob, welcome.
1: Well, thank you, Bill. That is our mission, and we uh, we strive to do it every day because, frankly, in the world we live in right now, um, I think that the American people need a source like this uh, that they can trust and get news and information on a range of policy issues. So thank you for having me. Uh,
0: I agree. Say, Rob, are you open to taking questions from um, guests of the show and, and people that listen regularly? I mean, I know you represent a conservative uh, voice, and sometimes there's people that their their needs aren't met uh, by the things you say. So I'd love to just make it available if you don't mind taking a question now and then.
1: I love taking questions. Oh, I love hearing from your listeners. And, and let me just say this, as our as our Heritage Foundation president, Kay James, often says, uh, who you had as a guest on the show, we are in the business of solutions. And yes, uh, we do have conservative principles that uh, they guide us. But uh, we, we work with people across the board. It uh, wasn't too long ago where we had a Republican and a Democrat here at the Heritage Foundation, a story we covered at the Daily Signal, uh, advocating for the end of the authorization of use of military force in Iraq. So, I mean, there nice. are still times, Bill, when yeah. when the two parties can get together and, and work collaboratively. In fact, there are a number of issues that, that go under the radar where Republicans and Democrats are working together. Uh, it just so happens that the, the big issues, the most contentious ones, uh, tend to get a lot of – lot of press coverage and the divisions come out. So yeah, let's take questions. Yeah. Let's talk yeah. about a range of issues. Yeah.
0: I just want to make sure everyone is heard. And if you have a question for Rob Bluey, let me know what it is. You can send the text right over to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. And you can be anonymous if you like. Of course, uh, ask away. would love to uh, hear from you. Rob, when I uh, watch news and you watch it on both sides of the aisle, does it seem that Often the goal is to share the conclusion that they want you to think, they want you to believe, and there's not tons of really important good dialogue.
1: Well, I think you're onto something there, Bill. Uh, you know, as, as a student of, of the media and yeah. somebody who graduated from journalism school, obviously, you know, this is important to me because I, I think and I, I was taught not only in schooling but it, through practice and, and learning journalism from Uh, a a veteran editor at a young age when I was still in high school that there were certain roles that the the news media was supposed to play and and, and primarily among them was going out and collecting the facts and putting a story together uh, that your your audience could could hopefully become more educated and informed on whatever topic that might be. Now, I mean, at the local level it could be learning what happened at your school board meeting or town council meeting and then obviously at a national level there's a whole range of things that you could be talking about but increasingly we've seen uh this move and i think it's it's partly because of social media it's partly because of demands on traffic it's partly because people have a political agenda where you're absolutely right uh sometimes we have the conclusion before we even uh establish what the facts are and i think that that's that's not pursuing journalism in the most honest and truthful way
0: sometimes Mm -hmm. rob Louie is my guest the executive editor at the daily signal dailysignal.com if you have a question for rob Please let us know what it is. You can send a text to 877-933-2484. I listened to the great podcast you did with Terry Schilling. He uh, is working with an organization called American Principles Project, and they started a new initiative called The Big Family. And I found it interesting, Rob. You're a, you're a great interviewer, by the way. And one of the things that he said was talking about some of the mass shootings that 26 out of the last 27 mass shootings Were people who did not who came from a fatherless home?
1: It it is Uh, some of those stats were amazing. When you look at, um, you can go down the list in terms of uh, success in life, and 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 those who you know end up um, unfortunately committing suicide. Those who may end up with drug addictions. I mean, you can always go back and you can you can point to to some correlating data. It seems that suggests that particularly fatherless homes are are a big factor. And we've known this, um, for quite some time. It's, 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 I think, um, information that sometimes we, we choose not to maybe digest and we not, we tend not to think about because it is tough. I mean, as Terry said in the interview, uh, our heart goes out to all the single parents out there. This is not in any way a knock on them, but I think that any time that a mother and a father, a husband and a wife, can reconcile their differences if they're if they're having difficulties, uh, it's better off. Uh, the, the children are better off as a result of that. I mean, the, the data just shows this uh, time and time again. And yes, there are those extreme cases uh, in the case of mass shootings, but then there are other factors that go. Day to day, that um, that I think a, a two parent household uh, can yield so many great benefits for for individuals. So. Um, that 's why I encourage people if uh, if they they need help uh, with their relationships they they seek out uh, maybe their their priest or their rector or they seek out counseling um, and try to work out those differences, particularly if kids are involved Bill because I think it it, it will impact them and it'll impact generations beyond them um, so so definitely a, a big factor there and I think the other thing that's uh, that 's so important to talk about is. Um, maybe you're going to get to this, but when Terry talked about how there's so many other special interests in Washington, it's surprising that the family doesn't have uh, really a strong a strong backing and repre- representation in Washington. So they want to change that. And I think that just like big tech and big business and big oil and others have <laughs> a seat mm-hmm. at the table, why shouldn't the family have a seat at the table yeah. as well?
0: So it's called the big family, which is what it should be called.
1: I love it. That's right. That's yeah. how they came up with the name. Yeah. And uh, and I really, uh, really hope he, he succeeds in, in what, he's, what he's trying to do here because I think there are so many issues. And they sometimes come up by economic issues. Sometimes they're social issues. Um, sometimes they're, they're military or foreign policy issues. They all affect the family in so many different ways. And uh, and yes, there's a lot that be, can, can be done in Washington. But as Terry talks about, so much of these things happen at the local level. So in your own communities or in your own states. So you don't always have to look to Washington for answers. Sometimes it's just right in your own backyard. Mm-hmm. Rob, I'd love for you to talk about some
0: of the big tech sponsorship or um, uh, censorship. Um, and I also want to talk about some sponsorship as well. But I've got two thoughts in my head right now. Let's start with <laughs> big tech censorship. And isn't that a little bit, like any business,
1: no shirt, no shoes, no service? Well, yes. So so there's a couple of thoughts I have on this bill. And number one, uh, I I think that Maybe President Biden and, and Press Secretary Jen Psaki have done us all a favor because they were, they were quite open about, in their comments about uh, their views on, on the big tech platforms, particularly Facebook. Uh, the president himself saying that, that Facebook was causing, uh, causing death uh, by letting misinformation spread and the press secretary um, going even farther and saying that the government was providing the, um, the big tech platforms with examples of what they consider misinformation. Now, this centers around the, the vaccine. And I I think that it's particularly troubling that the government would be acting in such a way. Now, look, we can all have our opinions um, uh, about the vaccine. Um, I'm per- I I I got the vaccine, Bill. I've talked about it on your show uh, before. Um, but I think that there are we live in a free country, and there are individuals who, for whatever reasons, they could be religious reasons, they could be other reasons, uh, have chosen not to. And they are being labeled broadly as anti-vaxxers, and they're in for the information that they might want to share uh, is being censored, and the government is taking a a pretty active role now, and apparently doing this. And I think that it's it's similar to what the what former President Trump was saying. You know, is the government colluding with these big tech platforms? And certainly, in this case, it seems that they might be. So I think it's it's disturbing, uh, particularly because these big tech platforms already have policies in place where they can monitor this information, and they can remove this information if they deem it uh, in in conflict with their terms of service. So it's not like the platforms don't have the tools already. In fact, it's it's those of us conservatives and Christians who are often complaining that it's our content that is being removed (laughs) uh, by the platforms. But we don't want the government getting involved and getting its hands in it, because that seems like a direct violation of the First Amendment freedoms we have guaranteed in the Constitution.
0: Yeah. And doesn't big tech, because they're a business, can't they do what they want?
1: Well, they they certainly can. Yes, they are a private entity. Now, the government could come in and and, and change some laws. Uh, one of the big ones that's, that's being debated right now is the Communications Decency Act, which was written before these platforms even existed. There's a section of that law called Section 230, which gives them immunity from lawsuits. And so I think that there are some lawmakers who say, well, no, one way for the public to hold them accountable accountable would be to take them to court. But right now, you and I really can't do that. So there are a number of different things that I think are being explored in the public policy space. Uh, but I think that also one of the things that the American people can do is just make sure that their voice is heard. And and that's why I'm, a, I'm an advocate of multiple platforms. Uh, in fact, I just signed up for an account on a new platform called Getter, uh, G-E-T-T-R, um, which Jason Miller, a former associate uh, with uh, with President Trump, uh, has, is serving as the CEO. And and I think that I really encourage Americans to create new platforms and try new things, because let's face it, that's how Facebook and Twitter got their start years ago, and they, they blossomed into what they are today.
0: Yeah. Now from censorship to sponsorship, I read that the, a lot of Advertisers could be pulling out of the the Olympics, and I'm thinking, wow, that thing could go south really fast.
1: Well, well that it it does. I mean, it seems like these Olympics are just beset by so oh, many problems. Oh my, um, yeah. I'm just reading today that the weather is uh, incredibly hot and humid <laughs> and they're having to put cooling stations in the venues. So, I mean, it, if it wasn't first COVID, which of course we know right. um, ca- caused them to be delayed, but yes, um you you're absolutely correct. I mean, uh the advertisers pulling out, uh no fans in the stadiums. I mean, uh Tokyo is probably going to regret <laughs> hosting these things when all is said and done. But um but no, there there's a there's certainly a lot to watch uh with with the Olympics this year. And um, and I think that, you know, hopefully it's a moment uh where we can come together and um and and cheer on our, our American athletes. Uh at the same time I've seen they've given them more more leeway to protest and, and Bill, I just think that, you know, if we go down this path, um it's gonna create more more divisiveness and more polarization. And I would hope that the athletes, I just watched a, a, a video of Michael Johnson winning uh, the, the 200 and the 400 meter in 1996. And you know what was so stunning about that? As soon as he finished the race, here he is holding the American flag behind him, carrying it around proudly. And I just question, you know, how many athletes will we see doing that this year?
0: Yeah, great point. I want uh, to take a, I need to take a little break here, Rob, but when I come back, I want Everyone to know, uh, Rob Blue. I'm not going to hog him to myself. If you have a question, let me know what it is, 877-933-2484. Rob is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. We'll take a short break and be right back. the show. So glad to have Rob Bluey as my guest. He is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. And if you have a question for Rob, because many of you send me notes uh, regarding my segments with Rob, so uh, let me know specifically what question you might have for him. 877 Again, eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. 933 2484 Rob, uh, talk about what the Texas representatives uh, did uh, when they left to head to D.C.,
1: well, one thing they did is they got COVID. I mean, that's not, not a, a laughing matter, but I mean, it is a reality that six of them are now suffering with symptoms of COVID. And I think it's unfortunate. Uh, they were all photographed on, on the plane without wearing masks. Yeah, um I did see that. And, uh, and, and apparently one of uh, Speaker Pelosi's staffers now has, has COVID as a result of interacting with them as well. So they've done a lot of activity here in Washington, D.C., because uh, by being in the Washington, D.C. area, they are outside of Texas's jurisdiction and therefore can not be arrested or brought back to the state capitol. Um, and the special session that Governor Abbott has called in Texas lasts 30 days. And so I would imagine that uh, they will be in Washington or somewhere else outside of Texas for uh, the better part of the next 20 days or so. So uh, they're trying to make, uh, make waves uh, on, on the uh, voting uh, reforms that the, the Texas Republicans are, are trying to, uh, to enact in that state. Um, they are uh, teaming up with some of the National Democrats who are, are also trying to push um, a bill called uh, the For the People Act, or, or S-1. Uh, the, De- the National Democrats had, had a field hearing in Atlanta yesterday, which uh, which attempted to, to raise awareness on on that issue. But they still uh, face a high hurdle, I think, both in Texas and at the national level, uh, because frankly, uh, at some point, I think the Texas, the Texas Democrats are going to have to go back home. I can't imagine they're going to live the rest of their lives outside of Texas. Texas. Um, and, I and so, so I, I mean, I, I, what does Governor Abbott do? I mean, I don't know if he, there's a way that he can fi- compel them to, to vote. And then even at the national level, I think that you still have a situation where Joe Manchin and and, and, um, and others have, have said that they're not going to change the filibuster in the U.S. Senate, and therefore the Democrats uh, face a, a high hurdle. They're not going to be able to get 60 votes for their legislation. So um, I, I think both of these things will, will eventually come to a head or, or will, will, will fade away from the news. Uh, But right now, it is certainly a captivating story and um, and something that we'll continue to keep an eye on.
0: Yeah. Rob, former Vice President Mike Pence um, paid a visit to the Heritage Foundation. I would imagine you were in the front row.
1: Uh, I, I was not quite in the front row, but not, not too far back. It was great to see the vice president. Yeah. It was also great to, uh, uh, to to focus on our attention on an issue that I do think brings together both parties, and that is China. Um, obviously, there, there are a number of issues that uh, the vice president talked about with regard uh, to U.S.-China relations, everything from the economic uh, issues that uh, that confront both of the countries to uh, issues related to uh, to China's military ambitions. And uh, as well as the, the Winter Olympics happening next year, so um, Bill, I think some of the most important takeaways uh, from this meeting were th- some of the sp- from the vice president's speech were number one uh, that the Biden administration should not go soft on China. The Trump administration certainly brought China to the forefront. That was one of president trump 's biggest uh, foreign policy agenda items. Uh, they imp- put in place tariffs and, uh, and other uh, steps that they took to to keep the pressure on uh, the Chinese. And uh, when it comes to things like uh, getting the truth about the origins of cor- coronavirus, I think we still uh, await a lot of answers. And so the vice president was suggesting that the Biden administration needs to, to continue to take a tough stance. And I think it was encouraging to see yesterday the uh, that NATO and uh, some of our allies across the globe put out a strong statement about China's uh, cyber attacks um, on, on Microsoft. Uh, that's encouraging. Of of course, they stopped short of taking any formal action against the Chinese, which is, is, is really, I think, you know, words can only take you so far. And so uh, we'll continue to keep an eye on that one as well, Bill. It's, um, it's certainly an issue that I think more and more Americans recognize is, is important. And as the Chinese uh, become more of an adversary, um, we need to make sure that we're paying close attention to their actions.
0: Yeah, Rob, my history is not great. Do you recall uh, the relationship that uh, President George W. Bush and Barack Obama uh, President Obama had with China during their administrations.
1: Well, it was certainly less confrontational than that of Donald Trump and probably that of Joe Biden. I mean, uh, in in part because I think in in the two thousands and then during the for under Bush and then under under Obama, uh, we still had a different view of China. Um, and remember, going back all the way to Richard Nixon, that there was this idea that if United if we had an open China and we encouraged trade we would uh, hopefully maybe change the way that the, the Chinese operate. With regard to their political system, uh, which is based in, in communism, the Chinese Communist Party uh, runs the country. Uh, human rights—we uh, know of the human rights abuses that take place um, with the Fulan Gong or, or the Uyghur Muslims. I mean, it's just atrocious what what takes place there. And we've increasingly seen um, U.S. corporations, uh, you know, push back on on efforts to criticize the Chinese uh, and, and professional sports leagues. Look what happened when Daryl Morey of the Houston Rockets uh, criticized. Uh, you know, very timidly, I think, uh, what was going on in China with regard to human rights and and the black backlash and the blowback that he received from the NBA and, and players like LeBron James. So China does wield a, a big stick and our efforts to try to change the Chinese seem to not have worked as well. It's one of the reasons why uh, my colleagues at the Heritage Foundation are attempting to bring more transparency to what goes on in China. And so we just put out a new China transparency report, a first of its kind, uh, in an effort to... Really open up um, to the eyes of the American people some of the things that take place in China, Um, and so Bill, I think that it's important for us to do everything we can because we've seen what's happened in Hong Kong. We worry about what's uh, what's next for Taiwan, um, and and we know that China has uh, has big ambitions.
0: Mm -hmm. Rob, Americans are tough, but they want to be safe, and I know there's violence in the cities, and people are. They're rethinking some of their trips, whether they want to go downtown and be there at night. And they, you know, I I hear friends talk about, "Eh, I'm not sure I want to go into that part of town. And I go, well, uh, if we're not feeling safe and there's violence and we're defunding the police, uh, that's that can't that can't go well.
1: Well, and and uh, really an eye opener right here in our own city of Washington DC, not too far from where the Daily Signal offices are. When uh, just a few days ago at Nationals Park, the baseball game was interrupted by gunshots uh, outside, mm-hmm. and uh, and of course uh, Nationals Park uh, w- was was constructed in an area that, that wasn't the best part of town, but has uh, seen significant changes and um, and and has has really. Um, uh, attracted, you know, a, a, a different type of, of resident. But still, it just goes to show that this can happen anywhere. And and I think for, for those who maybe felt a little bit isolated and, and far off, uh, my hope, Bill, is that um, they'll, they'll start to pay attention to what's going on in other cities like Portland and Chicago and Baltimore. Because let's face it, um, you know, if it is far removed from us, we don't might not be on top of mind, but every weekend we're greeted by headlines uh, about uh, new shootings. In fact, there was just a six-year-old girl who was oh. shot in a drive-by shooting here in, in Washington, D.C. So, I mean, it's happening to the youngest uh, in our in our communities as well, which is, is just sad and devastating.
0: Not oh, so sad. Uh, here's a question from a listener. Do the Texas legislature get paid if they don't return?
1: Well, they are uh, apparently currently still able to access their per diem accounts, okay. which uh, allows them, you know, to travel and 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 expense it back to the taxpayers. Uh, that's my understanding. So, um, so it's a good question. I, I'll have to research that. Maybe we can talk about it next week once I get some more information about the details there. But my understanding is right now that they they still would be, um, you know, collecting. Uh, really, what they're doing is they're preventing the two thirds that are needed for quorum. Um, And so, so that's really the issue. And, uh, and the reason that they're, they've left the state is that they don't want the Texas Rangers to come in and arrest them. And of course they don't have jurisdiction outside of Texas.
0: Yeah. And let's see. um, What does Rob think of the Epoch Times for news?
1: Uh, We've worked with the Epic Times before. I think that they are a a good source of news. They certainly are growing rapidly. It's it's remarkable to watch the success that they've had. Um, And uh, and when they call and want to interview Heritage Foundation experts, uh, we certainly uh, are are happy to work with them. Um, and, uh, And I think that one of the most interesting things that they're doing is they've really, like the Daily Signal, embraced this idea of multimedia, recognizing that more and more people are getting their news on other platforms besides just reading text. So yeah. they're, they're watching videos, they're listening to podcasts or listening to shows like yours, Bill. And I think that we, those of us who are in the media business need to be responsive to what our audience is doing. And the people that have the most success, whether it be the Epic Times or the Daily Wire or the Daily Signal, um, you know, those of us who are quick to adapt uh, are the ones that are having success.
0: Yeah. Rob, thanks for being with me. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Bill. Yep. Rob Bluey has been my guest executive editor at the Daily Signal after a short break. We're going to talk to Bill English. He's written a book called "The Christian Theology of Business Ownership. If you're a budding entrepreneur, you're not going to want to miss this. We'll be right back.
1: It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time.
2: Let's get it started.
0: All right, if you are a business owner, listen up. Maybe you're looking for a fresh perspective. Um, We want to make sure we align our role as an owner with biblical theology. And here to help us uh, do that is Bill English. He's a very experienced entrepreneur, author, speaker, and uh, business advisor specializing in small business ownership issues. He's got two master's degrees. I, I think it was buy one, get one free kind of thing. Uh, No, it was not. (laughs) Okay, well, (laughs) I question that, that, so we'll talk about that a little bit later. But he's written a book called Christian Theology of Business Ownership, an introduction for Christian entrepreneurs on what the Bible says about owning a business. Bill, welcome. Hey, it's good to see you. So how long has this book been ruminating in your head? Uh, Over five years. Okay. All right, just start on a little napkin at Perkins or something? No,
2: it started as, as a blog back in 2011. I started blogging, and and eventually the posts started to connect and make nice. sense, and that's how it kind of came nice. together.
0: Tell, tell the listeners about your background. I gave you a little intro, but let's hear more from you.
2: Uh, yeah, background real quick. Uh, MDiv and an MA from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Um, I worked as a psychologist. I'm still licensed here in the state Nice uh, for nine years, and then uh, left that and was in technology for about 12 years, 14 years, something like that. And during that time, I learned how to write. I didn't know how to write a book. But during that time, I wrote 14 books, about half of them for Microsoft Press. Uh, For those in the IT space that was in the SharePoint and Exchange areas that I wrote, I was a SharePoint MVP for 11 years with Microsoft. And then uh, got out of that and went into business consulting. I'm a partner right now with the Platinum Group. We do turnarounds, we do traditional M and A work, family su- business succession nice. planning, that kind of thing. Yeah. So that's a little bit about my background.
0: Let's jump to the book. There, sure. You know, when I as I page through it and read it, it's got tons and tons of great principles and lots of scripture, and that got my attention right away. So thank you for doing that. You're welcome. Uh, what is the what do you consider the overall message you're trying to deliver with this book?
2: I'm trying to uh, deliver a transformative message to business owners and business leaders about their role as an owner or a leader. It's not about... This book is not about biblical principles uh, to, how to how to better run a business God's way kind of thing. That's not this book. This book is not about, you know, if you follow these principles, you're going to get rich. That's right. not this book. This book is is about... You as an owner, in your role as an owner, what does the Bible have to say about what you uh, have to do to, to please God, to steward what He has given to you, and those kinds of things? So it's really role-based, and uh, and and uh, it's it's a book that will speak directly to uh, what you do during the day and how you handle yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. So all right, let's say I'm a business owner yep. and I, I I'm trying to do the best job I can. I want to follow the Lord um what is wh- what why should i care about what's in your book i say that very nicely
2: yeah because
0: <laughs> no, i mean there's no. a zillion books out there right
2: right there yes. are and and a, and a, and not a zillion readers right yeah yeah so uh The reason you should care is because this book, more than any other that you'll ever read, is going to talk about your your stewardship relationship with God, your covenant relationship with God, and how you as an owner can fulfill God's purposes for business and get yourself ready to reign with him in eternity. Uh, all you and I and everybody else listening who who is a disciple of Jesus Christ, we're one day going to die and we're going to be in heaven with Jesus and we're going to reign with him.
0: Ooh, I like
2: it. And, um, and so this book is about how your role as a business owner is preparatory for reigning with Christ in heaven.
0: Mm-hmm. I would imagine if this is in the bookstore, someone might be turned off by the word theology of business ownership. Yep. Um, but let's... Just talk about that a little bit. They, they might think that that word is uh, irrelevant uh, or too much for them to understand. Well, people don't want to read theology, right? They want to
2: read something that's practical. But theology done right is highly practical. You I
0: know. agree completely. <laughs> yeah.
2: So uh, I, I realized that, that when we named the book, it was going to be a name that would not um, attract a lot of readers. But I, but it's an accurate. Uh, title. I was more interested in accuracy than in marketing. So uh, it is a theology, uh, but it's also just as much practical. So like, for example, in the the chapter on partnerships, or in the chapter on receiving advice, I do go into what the Bible has to say about receiving advice or about partnerships, but then I also become highly practical about that as well.
0: On page 58, uh, you have a title called The Deceitfulness of Wealth. Wealth can be highly deceitful. Would you say more about that?
2: Yeah, wealth can be highly deceitful because at least in one sense, there's several senses I talk about that in the book, but in one sense, we tend to view the acquisition of wealth, the accumulation of wealth, the creation of wealth as being successful. I agree. Uh, But creating wealth in and of itself doesn't mean that God's blessing is on you. There's plenty of people that we can point to who have uh, created lots of wealth who uh, never walked a day with God, even an hour with God. So you can create wealth without God. What you can't do is be successful in the sense that I talk about it in the book, fulfilling the four purposes of business. And, and maybe we can get into that, but products, people, uh, profits, and uh, philanthropy, fulfilling those the way that God looks at them in the Bible. and and uh, And if you do those things, you're going to be successful, whether you create a lot of wealth or not.
0: Mm-hmm. Bill English is my guest. He's written a book called A Christian Theology of Business Ownership. And you just dropped four big words. Product, did, yeah. people, profit, and you didn't have a fourth P. No, philanthropy. Oh, philanthropy, yeah. Yeah, P-H. Oh. <laughs> P-H. <laughs> All right. Maybe I, could, I couldn't remember the fourth one, and I didn't think it was a P, but it well, clearly, clearly it is.
2: You know, I wasn't going to say anything on air,
0: you know. Oh, you can could, you could make fun of me. I don't no, care. I,
2: I'm never going to do that.
0: No, please do. <laughs> I make me feel loved. All right. Let's talk about product, people, profit and philanthropy.
2: Yeah. So, um, products, uh, I believe if if you ask the question, why did God create business? Uh, how does the Bible answer that? Well, to my, to my way of thinking, the first one is that he created a business so that we can create products and services that enable the community to flourish, that enable the church to uh, advance. Right. So, uh, When you're making a product or offering a service that doesn't enable the community to flourish, then you probably are in a place where you're out of God's will and you're probably offering something that is uh, sinful, quite frankly. Uh, So, yeah, products, then you have uh, people. Business exists in part to help people develop their God-given skills, their God-given talents and passions, so that they become more of who he is. Business owners who don't invest in their employees tend to not fulfill this purpose, God's purpose for business. Uh, the third one is profits. Uh, business has to be profitable in order to provide the community uh, sustainability to provide the community um, stability and to uh, make it so that you can grow the business and employ more people and so that you can do the fourth thing which is philanthropy so you can give more money away and and give that money away in such a way that you are helping to further the kingdom Uh, business done right will should produce a lot of wealth but that wealth is owned by God not by me, not by you. It is owned by God. We're just stewards of that. Deuteronomy 8, he says, uh, Moses says that it's God who gives us the ability to create wealth. So when God gives us that ability to create wealth and we create it, it really belongs to him. So when we create lots of wealth, we go to God and we say, what do you want me to do with this wealth? And then we then we obey him.
0: I love it. Bill English is my guest. And his book is A Christian Theology of Business Ownership. He brought three copies in that we can give out. So if you'd like to be one of those lucky people to get this book, if you're a, uh, a a business owner or you're a budding entrepreneur, you're going to want to sign up for this one. Text the word book to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. 2484 again, eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. 2484 Bill, I love the Christian theology uh, in the title because one chapter you've, You talk uh, on becoming free from the bondage of sin. Yeah, 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 yeah. Why should a Christian owner be concerned about becoming free from the bondage of sin?
2: You know, the genesis of that chapter was actually Deuteronomy 27 and 28, where Moses goes over all of the things, the bad things that will happen to Israel if they sin and all the good things that will happen if they obey God's laws. And so, out of that, I, I took this notion that when we live in sin, we are automatically placing ourselves under curses. Now, I realize this is theologically uh, somewhat debatable uh, across various viewpoints here, but my viewpoint on this is that just like God can send blessings on us, he also can send curses on us if we live in sin, especially if we are people who claim the name of Jesus Christ so uh, becoming free from the bondage of sin it seems to me right after you accept Jesus Christ the very next thing you need to do is to become free from the bondage of sin so that you are free to live in righteousness to be the steward uh, of what God gives you to live in a covenant relationship with God that is intimate and loving and free-flowing sin hinders all of that so there's there's a lot of business owners who uh, quite frankly are in bondage to sin whether it's greed whether it's uh, lust, you know, take any of the sensualities. Sure. And all, 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 I'm, all I'm suggesting in the book is that if you really want to be the steward and you really want to conduct yourself the way God wants you to, as an owner, you've got to become free from the bondage of sin. That was, by the way, the hardest chapter for me to write. Um, and I'll be a little bit self-disclosing here. I was sexually abused as a boy, and it was a very difficult um, thing for me. And that led to a lot of negative effects in my life for a long time. And it took me almost six months just to write that chapter because I couldn't write it without first living it.
0: I'm sorry about that. Yeah. All right. Let's say you're a a business owner and you're considering entering into a partnership. Mm. What do you do?
2: Get a partner agreement.
0: Oh, okay.
2: <laughs> Get a partner. What kind of vetting
0: should you be doing? Because isn't a lot. The, isn't the partner process kind of the the feel good time, and we're all excited about what the project is? And or are we doing the hard vetting at this point? Yeah, we are. Okay, good. We are. Say more.
2: Yeah, we're we're doing the hard vetting. We're we're looking at we're looking at the um we're looking at the partner the potential partner or partners, and we're saying, are these people I can be in a relationship with? a professional business relationship. This is not the same as our covenant relationship with God, and it's not the same as a marriage. Mm -hmm. It is a legal relationship that has a beginning and has an end. Um, I've seen way too many Christians get into business together and they did it without having an agreement. Maybe they were family members that got together. Maybe they were just two friends that got together. But the result was when when the business went south or the relationship went south or expectations weren't fulfilled or whatever it was, they didn't have an agreement on how to get out. So I, I, I recommend that you really take time to get to know the other person you're going to go into a partnership with and you get a competent lawyer And you draw up a partner agreement that specifies all of the potential negative scenarios that could happen, including divorce and bankruptcy and all those things. And how does the partnership handle each of those individually? you got to have that. Um, If you don't, then walk away. Don't do it.
0: So what about you're already in a bad partnership and you're a little panicked? What do you do?
2: Oh, free yourself like a gazelle with okay. a lion,
0: right? Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. Figure out how to get out of it or figure out how to get an agreement in place
0: that makes it workable. Mm. But if there's a lot at stake and you're getting ready to lose a lot, then what?
2: You know, I guess you're getting ready to lose a lot. Okay. I, you know, I, I don't mean to be cold-hearted no, or harsh about this, but there, there are times when people just make bad decisions. And uh, they get into situations that had they thought it through, they wouldn't be in that situation. Mm -hmm. I don't don't know what to say about that. You know, call a lawyer, talk it through with a lawyer, see what your legal options are.
0: Yeah. Bill English is my guest. His book is A Christian Theology of Business Ownership. He was nice enough to bring in three copies that I can give out. So if you want to be one of those lucky people in the drawing, all you have to do is text the word BOOK to 877 933 2484. We'll take a short break and be right back with Bill English in just a minute. business. Did you pray about it? Did you ask the Lord for his leading? Did you just jump in? What did you do? I'm always kind of curious to hear how people started their business. And did you partner with somebody? Did you get investors? The whole thing is fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah. Now in one of your chapters, Bill, uh, Bill English is my guest and his book is called The Theology of Christian uh, Business Ownership. You talk about the importance of receiving advice and becoming wise. (laughs) <laughs> I think that's a very smart thing, and mentoring, yeah. and gathering trusted advisors. Yeah. Yeah, that's all yeah. wise. Yeah, it is, but Say you'd more. be
2: surprised at how many business owners don't have a suite or a panel of trusted advisors to whom they go to on a regular basis to get advice. I, I've i met uh, more than my share of both Christian business owners and, and, and non-Christian business owners uh, who... Um, might tell their banker one thing and their accountant another and their lawyer a third thing. And they really never let anybody else know all that's going on in their business. And uh, it's, it's difficult to watch that because they usually stagnate at a certain level, revenue level or uh, just customer base level. And, and they, they never really get beyond that because they're not listening to sage advice. And Proverbs tells us, and I'm going to paraphrase Proverbs here, that when you have a good advisors, you're more apt to win the war. And I think that's in Proverbs, that's a paraphrase out of Proverbs, either 23 or 24. And um, uh, that's the same thing for business owners. If they would open themselves up to sage advice mm-hmm. from the right people at the right time, both about who they are as people and as owners, as well as what to do and kind of decisions they should be making in their business. Uh, they are apt to go much, much farther than those who do not. And it's just how the world works.
0: Yeah. Bill, in addition to making bad decisions, you can also be getting bad advice, too. Oh, yeah. Like, Mr. Bezos, uh, people are not going to want to shop online. That's a bad idea. Yeah, bad idea. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's always naysayers <laughs> for these right. really cool exactly. ideas. So how do you how do you use discernment in those situations? Well, you know, the the
2: is it in James I'm going cuz I don't have my book in front of me but is is it in James where it says the wisdom that comes from heaven is what it's first of all peaceable then loving and it goes through a whole list of things and I I walk through those those characteristics and you'll find how uh, how surprisingly often those characteristics apply to receiving advice usually bad advice violates one or more of those elements in that list uh, from the book of James
0: mm-hmm. If a person comes to you and says, Bill, I want to go into business, I'm excited, I I don't care if I have to work 90 hours a week, what's the first red flag that comes up in your mind?
2: I don't care that I have to work 90 hours a week. You're going to sell your soul for your business, and at the end, you're going to have a business and nothing else, mm-hmm. and you'll really be a, a very empty, vacuous person. Um, uh, you know, there are times when business owners work a lot of hours, I get that, but my first Uh, advice to somebody who wants to go into business is you have to be very good at something. You have to be competent at something enough so that the market is willing to pay you for whatever it is you produce or do. Okay. Uh, The second thing is that you have to know how to build alliances. And this comes back to getting advice. You have to know how to build alliances within your business with employees, with customers, partners, vendors, uh, with the board, with your investors, with the community, that kind of thing. And then the third thing is you um, you have to have the character not to screw it all up. Mm-hmm. And by that, I'm talking about you have to be able to resolve conflict. You have to be able to build trust. You have to be able to um, show the right leadership at the right time. Uh, and I go over a number of those things in the book. So, you know, if you're good at something and you know how to build alliances, great. There's a lot of people who know how to do that. There's not a lot of people who know how to do those two things and then yet don't have the character to. Or, who have the character not to screw it all up. And uh, that's that's where most business owners fail. It's in the character area. Mm-hmm. And so partly why I wrote the book was for that reason.
0: Yeah. So, Bill, how do you hear the voice of God when you're saying, I want to start a business, I want to I take this business to the next level? Is it possible to hear the voice of God with all this?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, how do we, you know... If you want to learn how to hear the voice of God, what I tell people to do is uh, stop and pray and ask God who you should pray for today. Yeah. Okay? Because Satan isn't going to give you a name. He doesn't want you praying for anybody. And so whatever you hear in your head, and I don't mean audibly here, but it's like these, the, the messages come to your mind. That's the voice of God. And uh, you can hear the voice of God on an everyday basis in decision-making when you're in business. And when you do that, you will make
0: better decisions because you'll be led by the Lord. You know, I sometimes ask questions I already know the answer to. Yeah, so do I. Well, I mean, <laughs> because I think it makes for interesting discussion. Sure. You know, uh, yeah. should, you know when I said, do you, uh, can you hear the voice of God when you're in business? And of course, I knew the answer is yes. Yes. <laughs> I wasn't just being silly. I was thinking, right. I, I want to hear from you as well i don't want I don't want people to think does Bill really think that no, yeah, I really think that, yeah, I know I do too, so I no, do too, yeah. absolutely yeah um, so tell me more about uh working through writing this book, tell me another uh topic in the book that you struggled with and why
2: uh the uh, the other part of the book that influenced me the most, that changed me the most, I didn't struggle with it, it was an aha. Oh, nice. And that was in chapter one when I really dug into what covenants are and how covenants are faithful, faithfulness, love, and... Um, I can't think of the third word but they but they are at least faithfulness and love based. And when I realized that I didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as much as I had a covenantal relationship with God and that um and that it's not about the emotion of feeling something from God that determines whether you're mature. It's really about your faithfulness to God and your commitment to him. He is my God, he's your God. Uh, he's Rosie's God. He is our God, and we are his people, right? And so uh, in covenants, we don't switch gods. Uh, you know, it's uh, Michael Heiser would call this believing loyalty. You know, Michael. Mm-hmm. I've I had him on. Many times. And I, used, I, I learned a lot from his material as I was writing this part about the covenants, but I also learned from Dr. McComaskey, who I had at seminary. Uh, he wrote a book called The Covenants of Promise, and I thought that was a very, very helpful book for me. So now I live with a covenant relationship with God more than I live with a personal relationship with God. And please, those out there, I'm not denying the personalness of our relationship with God. That is very biblical. It's there. I believe it. I'm enhancing it and saying it's bigger, broader, deeper, front to back, side to side, top to bottom, if you look at it from a covenant
0: uh, theology rather than a salvific theology. Mm-hmm. So Bill, if you are a Christian business owner, uh, what counsel would you have for someone and their desire to have their faith and share their faith in their business? I
2: would say be, now this is me, and not everybody's going to agree with me here, okay? Um, Be very aware of the power imbalance of an owner with an employee. Just because you can share the gospel um, doesn't mean you should. And I know that that's almost heretical on this station, but you just have to be aware of the power imbalance. Your employees are going to sit there and listen to you and nod their head and, yeah, you know, you're right. And inwardly, they might be going, this guy's a jerk. I need to get out of this room, Mm -hmm. right? Because they don't have the power to say no to you as an owner. So live it first and then develop the relationships and the trust and the credibility so that at the right time, if the
0: Lord leads you, you can bring it up. Mm-hmm. And then what about dealing with customers in the secular world because you're not just doing Christian to Christian business? Yeah, same thing. Yeah. Same thing.
2: I I I know I know there are people out there who view business as the evangelistic tool. I'm just not I'm not there. Yeah. I'm not there. Okay.
0: Thanks for coming in. It's been hey. very uh, great to see you again and we used to be regular pals on the morning show. Yeah. Um I think the last time I saw you it was quite early. It was
2: before 8 o'clock. This
0: is such a civilized time, isn't it? It is. Yes.
2: It is. We can drink
0: tea with our pinky extended and just feel like real gentlemen in here. So I appreciate that. Bill English has been my guest. His book is A Christian Theology of Business Ownership, an introduction for Christian entrepreneurs on what the Bible says about owning a business. And he brought in three copies and said, let the listeners have them. So here they are. All you have to do is text the word book. Book. We've got a whole bunch of people that want in on this. So 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Bill, thanks for being here.
2: Hey, thanks for having me on. Yep.
0: yep. Well, we're going to take a little break. That is now the conclusion of hour one. But hour two, get ready. Because my friend Jeff Redorn is going to be here. We're going to talk about the wounds of Jesus. Uh, I'm just going to leave it at that that's the tease you're not going to want to miss this hour he gave me a little heads up about it and I am fascinated and I can't wait to share this hour with you so get a uh, a new cup of tea or coffee or something cool to drink because it is like 114 out right now and get ready for a full hour with Jeff Verdorn as we study the wounds of Jesus be right back